0: So uh, members of the graduating class of 2008, we are now here at last, at the conclusion of your work here at Westminster. Uh, At least that's true for most of you. Some of you like it around here so much you're going to come back next year for more. But most of you are more than ready to get out of here and be on your way. It has been work. And we as a faculty haven't forgotten that. Uh, I know we may leave the impression at times of being sort of unrelenting taskmasters who have nothing better uh, to do uh, than make cruel and unusual demands on your time and energies. But uh, as we can look out on you uh, today, what we recognize is is the sea of effort uh, that you represent. And we're aware in this or that instance of the unusual struggles and difficulties that it has been for you, particularly heavy and demanding schedules. And we wish to pay effort to that tribute now. We commend you for your accomplishments and for those who have supported you in them. And in this. Weak word this, may you hear a faint echo of that truly final well done, that we shall all together we trust, wait one day here from our Lord and Savior. Now looking to that great day, it is now my privileged assignment, and this is in a tradition that goes back deep in the history of this institution. My privilege on behalf of the faculty to charge you. I know, again, it may not seem quite right in your Westminster education. We as the faculty get the first word. Uh, We get a whole lot in between. And we get the last word. Now, there are, of course, a number of last words that would be appropriate on this occasion. But as I have thought about it, the last word uh, that I've settled on for you today are those words that come right at the close of First John. His final word to the church he is addressing there. These words, little children, keep yourself from idols. Little children, I suppose it could seem rather odd, maybe even appropriate on an occasion like this to choose to address you like this as little children. After all, we are here today in recognition of achievement, of work that has been completed, job well done, And so you might think that I could do better by you today than to address you on this occasion, particularly as little children. Well, not really. Not any better than John did in his last word. Because let me remind you again of who the little children are. Who, by God's grace, you, little children, are. You are that, as John has said earlier in this letter already, specifically addressed now to little children. They are those that because they have had their sins forgiven and continue to be forgiven because they have as their advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. As the little children they are, they have overcome the false spirits in the world. And in that most remarkable declaration, particularly pertinent to the day, the little children are those who have this identity as they have re- received the anointing from the Father that John says teaches about everything so that you have no need of any teacher. This is, this ought to be, the bottom line basic reality of a Westminster education. The Holy Spirit of God indwelling little children and proving again that he, and he alone, is the ultimate and true teacher of the church. So it's hardly inappropriate on this occasion for me to address you as little children. In fact, it is highly appropriate. Really, there can be no higher honor for you on this occasion than that accolade, that accolade true by God's grace that you are his little children. And if your time here at Westminster has accomplished anything worthwhile, then you are not leaving here uh, as paradoxical, as it might at first sound. You are not leaving here somehow less a little child, but more, more a little child. And if that is not the case, if that were not the case, then all the effort expended in study, no matter how monumental, would have been largely wasted. Little children. We can say that's a developmental stage in the Christian life that you never grow out of, you never get beyond. A measure of Christian maturity, John would have us understand, as much as anything, is an ever-growing, ever-heightening sense of your identity as little children, your trusting dependence on our God, our Father, who in saving us has adopted us as his little children. May God grant in what lies ahead for you that you never lose an ever-growing sense of that identity. But notice now that John not only identifies the little children here, but he exhorts them Keep yourselves from idols. Again, that could seem kind of odd, even appropriate. Certainly, it's a negative note to end on. Think of him writing, keep yourselves from idols, lift the pen, wrap up the papyrus, and send it out. Why does John end that way? Why do the little children need to be left with this warning? especially, after all, the positive things that he has already had to say about them. Is John here overlooking that, just as the little children they are, they have already been delivered from idolatry? They have already been released from all forms, all sorts of enslaving false worship? No, John hasn't forgotten that. He knows, as Paul puts it, that these little children are those who have already turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to await his son from uh, heaven, Jesus, who he raised from the dead. Rather, you see, it's the case that John wants you to know this as a little child. He wants you to know this about God's preserving and persevering purposes with his little children. We can put it this way. Only because little children have this identity will they keep themselves from falling back into idolatry. And only in the effort at keeping themselves from idolatry do they have that identity in the sovereignty of saving grace, in its all-embracing sweep, there is a bond here between this identity of being a little child and this command. The issue uh, here is a question that divides uh, commentaries. That is, whether the idolatry that John is talking about here uh, is more specific or general. I'll leave it to you to puzzle that out later. But let's just say this for here. It's hard to go wrong in considering matters here comprehensively. Let's just say, and put it this way, we have here the first rule of life in covenant with God. That rule true from the beginning at creation echoed in the first commandment given at Sinai and here reaffirmed for the New Testament church. And in fact, as negative as this command is, it carries a positive, a powerful positive. And that is that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And out of that love, others as self. And of a lot more that could be said here, let me just emphasize this one thing. It's fair to say that the greatest idol you're going to have to contend with, the most inveterate, unremitting, idolatrous seduction that will pull at you is yourself. And you only have to look in yourself to know that. I can speak from a lengthening lifetime that seduction never goes away. Many of you in years ahead are going to serve as Christian leaders. You will become ministers and teachers in the church. And your greatest struggle are going to be with those things that uh, carry what we label with self-hyphen prefixes. A particular trap, we can say, of gospel ministry and of academic life that can be pursued in the study of God's word is self-absorption, an undue self-centeredness, all told, an unhealthy self-preoccupation. We should recognize, as you look to your future, a definite occupational hazard, a certain ministerial narcissism, more often than will be good for you, you're gonna be in the limelight. People are going to be giving you their attention. And in this situation, it will be all too easy to forget who you are, to forget the little children you are, and in one way or another to brush aside this identity. And where that happens, As Paul makes very clear elsewhere, in all sorts of ways, and those ways can often be very veiled, refined ways. Where that happens, self-ambition, vain deceit entered the church, and that can even happen in the name of the gospel. And with that lost sense of identity, inevitably, no longer do we consider others better than self. No longer do we find ourselves looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And along with that, pride. Counterproductive and cancerous self-assertion takes over, and the result in the church is strife, division, rivalry. This is, from every evidence, a perennial problem in the life of the church and it certainly has the most pernicious consequences. Little children, uh, class of 2008, in addressing this problem in the church, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, poses some questions. And they are perennially searching questions that carry with them their own answer. Let me remind you of them again. Who makes you to differ? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Let me then propose this practical prescription of this problem with yourself. Nothing will prove more conducive for the good health and well-being of the Church including your own, wherever God brings you, than for each of you constantly to put these questions to yourself. Might I suggest that you can do a lot worse toward preserving in yourself a sense of your identity as little children that you are by God's grace, to protect yourself from idolatrous attitudes and conducts, than to do this, Not only on this commencement day, but in every day for the rest of your days, look into the mirror and ask, what do you receive? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Or to put it another way, as the Apostle Paul does just earlier in 1 Corinthians, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Little children, keep yourselves from idols.